0: Josie DeVidio is a woman with too much time on her hands and a curiosity to explore the human experience with a passion to bring entertaining and informative content to your ears. Real talk, real people. This is Josieology.
1: Hey friends, welcome to Josieology. I am your host, Josie DeVidio. I am a mom, a podcaster, and a special needs supporter. My guest today is Sandra Peoples, who is the author of the book, Unexpected Blessings, The Joys and Possibilities of Life in a Special Needs Family. She also serves her church in Houston, Texas, as co-director of the Special Needs Ministry. Hey, Sandra, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, thanks so much for having me.
1: Sandra and I met online years ago when we were both writing articles for the same digital magazines, and we've stayed in touch over the years via social media. And I've enjoyed watching her ministry evolve. And I know a lot of you listening either have uh, family members who deal with special needs or have friends who are raising kids with special needs. Sandra has a real passion for ministering to special needs families. And I just thank her so much for joining me today. For listeners who don't know you, Sandra, tell us a little bit more about yourself and why this topic has a special place in your heart.
0: Okay, great. I have been a member of a special needs family my entire life. I have a big sister who has Down syndrome. And then in 2010, our son James was diagnosed with autism. And so it was a, um, you would think I'd be prepared (laughs) for it being a sibling already, but it was quite a change in our lives. My husband is in ministry. And so, you know, we are um, around churches and doing those kind of things. And so it has evolved into my passion to make sure that family like mine are included in um, churches, synagogues, the places of worship where they need to feel included. We've made a lot of progress in schools. We've made a lot of progress even in jobs. And I kind of feel like churches are the last frontier. And so my mission lately has been to just push for inclusion in houses of worship. And that has been influenced by just all the experiences that I've had growing up as a special needs sibling and now as a mom.
1: So, you mentioned that things changed after the diagnosis. Can you give us some insight into what that means? What changes in a family after you receive that diagnosis?
0: Well, diagnoses come to different families at different times. Like for my parents, they found out that my sister had Down syndrome right after she was born. (laughs) For us, James's diagnosis came when he was three. There's other families that have diagnosis even after their kids start school. But whenever that happens, there's so many changes. Like for us specifically, the way we spent our money changed because all of a sudden we had these therapies to pay for. And then things in our house changed because we had therapists in and out every day. That changes your whole routine. And then um, things for my older typical son changed because all of a sudden he didn't have this typical relationship that he was hoping for with his brother. And so even the sibling relationships changed. Things at our church changed because they either had to develop a special needs ministry that would welcome our family or my husband would have had to find another job. I mean, that's a big right. thats a big deal. Things with our extended family changed because even though my side of the family was very familiar with disabilities, my husband's side of the family was less familiar with it. And so there were a lot of things we had to kind of walk them through, the things that James isn't able to do. (laughs) Like we don't eat out as a family. It's too hard for him to eat out. Mm -hmm. And so you think of these huge changes like having to go to therapy every day. And then you think of these little changes like the fact that we eat fast food meals in the car instead of at a table (laughs) like other families get to do. Right. Right. Sometimes you don't even realize the changes until the kiddo is growing and adapting. And then you think, oh, like I just looked back one day and thought, we have not eaten at a restaurant in a year and a half. And we hadn't even noticed that. We were just doing what was right for our family. Right. So it's just really interesting. Some of those changes all come at once. And then some of them kind of of come in and gradually.
1: Right. And that's something that I don't think... Um, Families who aren't touched by special needs realize that there is a lot going on, not just for your child, but for your whole family, for the siblings, for the mom, for the dad, for the parent relationship apart from the child. There's a lot of extra, I mean, you know, it's hard enough to raise a neurotypical child when you're a new parent. But now you throw in a diagnosis and what comes with that, which is usually just—I don't want to say just—it's it can be a lot, but it's extra. So, especially when it's your if it's your first child who has a special need, it's exponentially harder than if you're having a neurotypical child as your first child in the family.
0: Right, that's so true.
1: Can you tell us or a, a little bit about the emotions that come from that realization of? all these changes that have to occur?
0: Yeah, for me, um, I was noticing changes in James from when he had turned two and then his diagnosis came just a couple months after he had turned three. And so I was looking for answers, trying to figure out why he stopped responding. Like when my husband would get home from work, he wouldn't respond to that. There was language he did know that he was losing. Uh, There were some motor skills you know, that a typical two and a half year old should be able to do that. He wasn't able to do. And so when we got the diagnosis, it was a relief to me in some ways, because I thought, okay, now we have a label for what is different and what is going on with him. And a label means opportunities. It means that we can, can get the education help we need, the therapy help we need, on the other hand my husband <laughs> reacted differently which happens often in couples you know my husband was still a little bit in denial because he w- he hadn't been on this search like i had for months to try to figure out what it was he right. he was just kind of on another place and and thinking about oh it's he'll grow out of it he'll grow you know like mm-hmm. everything will be fine he'll grow out of it and so not only <laughs> were we dealing with our own emotions in the months after the diagnosis we were trying to figure out how to come together on that and to not resent each other. Like I went really quickly into warrior mom mode. Like we're going to fix this. We're going to do everything we can and get him in all the therapies and all the biomedical things. And my husband was just kind of frozen. You know, he was, he was working through those stages of grief at a different timeline than I was. And so we had to be patient with each other. And so that's And that's a big deal, especially when, all the changes that we talked about, and then you're having to deal with each other's dynamics and right. and your your typical kids, if you have typical kids at the time and it's it's a lot <laughs> to have to you know work through
1: absolutely and so then my next question is what kind of support did you have while you were going through this phase? because you know a lot of people I think initially want to keep this to themselves because they're still trying to wrap their head around it, but in, the reality is you need support. And you need someone outside of your immediate family to help you to cope, to deal, to talk things through, to, you know, tell us more about that. What was your support system like?
0: Well, at the time we lived in Pennsylvania and it is a great state for services for kids with disabilities. And so um, we live in Texas now and things are a little different in Texas. And so I say all this with the caveat of where you live can can determine the services that you get, and that can determine the people that are able to come around you and help. So for us, in those very early years, our primary person was a lady that we went to church with who was also an occupational therapist. So she was the first to see these signs in James that there was something going on. She very gently talked to me about it because we were friends, we had a relationship. Then she became James's therapist, and in a way, <laughs> became my therapist. <laughs> you know, like she, she had walked through this with other families. And so when she came to the house once a week and, and worked with James, she could stick around for five more minutes and check on me. And then we pretty quickly also added behavioral therapy for James. And the woman that we found to do that was a mom of a 16-year-old who was also on the autism spectrum. So she was kind of a mentor to me. And so these therapist that came around us ended up being a great support system for James and for me. And I'm so thankful for what they contributed. And so in those very early days, when you're scared to even talk about it because labels are scared, they're helpful, but they can be scary. And especially right. in our autism world where autism means a thousand different right. scenarios. And when, when your kiddo is three, you don't know what that scenario is going to be. And so you want to protect some of his story because that's private to him. And if he's ever able to communicate, which our son has level three autism, which means he's functionally nonverbal. So at this point, he isn't able to communicate, like have a conversation, even though he does have some words he can say. But at that point, it was important to us not to broadcast to everyone, everything we were going through. Right. Um, and so we really relied on the people who understood, who had been through similar circumstances, and then the people who were just at our house every day walking us all through it.
1: Now, you mentioned that these, uh, some of these ladies were your friends initially before they became your helpers in this uh, treatment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Tell me a little bit about how that period of time changed your other friendships. I mean, you know, you had friends, I'm assuming, who weren't these kinds of therapists, right? Right. So, and if I remember correctly, your husband is a pastor. Right. I'm going to ask you a question that I was always afraid to ask my own pastor's wife. Like, is it hard for you guys to have friends? Because I would imagine that people feel intimidated to befriend the pastor and his wife. Yes. Is that a, a thing? Or am I just imagining that? And then throw in an autism diagnosis now. And how does that change it?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So I'll tell you, a few weeks ago, we invited a couple over from church. And I talked to the wife. And I was like, hey, we'd love for you guys to come over. You know, let's plan it after. It was like a holiday coming up. Let's plan it after the holiday. And then the next day, the husband texted my husband and said, um, your wife invited us over. Is there something going on like is right. it like they thought they were in trouble. Are you in trouble? Yeah. <laughs> and we were like, no, we just want to get to know you better. Like and so there is that aspect of it. You know, there is kind right. of this it's hard to be completely honest with sure. a pastor. And that depends on, you know, whatever faith history you have. Right. And we understand people bring woundedness and baggage into relationships with pastors and pastors' families and And so there is that aspect of it. When we, when James was young, um, we had less of that because in Pennsylvania, it's a less churched area, you know? And so it's not the Bible belt, like where we live now. Right. And so people didn't have as many preconceived notions about what the pastor and his wife and family should be or shouldn't be. So we, I felt like we were more, we were accepted for who we were. And that people did a great job, including us in friendships and relationships. And so at that point, that wasn't the biggest hindrance. What hindered us was that James's development was frozen, (laughs) you know, and even now he he turns 12 in a couple months, but his development is that of a two and a half year old. Mm. And so my older son is two years older. And so normally you'd be going on playdates when you're five and three. And we did some of that. (laughs) But then the expectations of what he could do didn't increase with his age. And so um, if we're friends with somebody who also had five and three year old boys and they continue, then they don't want to play with James after and James is uninterested in playing with them. And so even now (laughs) at the, my boys are 11 and 13. And so when we have friends over James isn't playing Xbox with everybody else. He's right. not interested in that. He's doing his own thing. He doesn't want to be interrupted. He's playing with Thomas train toys and those things he was doing that make him, and, and they make him happy. And we're thankful for that. But it is hard to continue <laughs> to have relationships with, with our peers, you know, with people who, you know, I turned 40 this year, other 40 year old moms are who I want to hang out with, Sure, but I don't, have. I can't, you know, go in another room and chat with a mom, and and be away from James. I have to have my eyes on him all the time, and so and you know, in those early years, all those therapy appointments would keep me from being available to be with other people. You know, if that's hey, we've got this play date on Thursday morning, well, we have therapy every Thursday morning, or yeah. just even scheduling wise, it was hard to invest in that when we were younger, and now that they're school age, that's a little bit easier, but. Busyness is just a big hindrance in those investing in those relationships because we have certain things that determine our schedule that are different than what other families are doing.
1: Right. So do you ever get a break? I mean, how do you build that in for yourself?
0: Well, that's uh, one of the reasons we moved to Texas <laughs> a few years ago. We live in the town that is uh, really close to my parents' You know the friends that we had in Pennsylvania were great. The therapists were great, but at some point, sometimes you just need family. You right. know, especially for things like overnight trips. Um, I travel a few times a year to speak at different things, and, and there's no way I would be able to do that if we weren't close to family who right. are able to help. And then on the other side of that, they need my help for my sister with Down syndrome. She lives at home, and so I try to be available to them to kind of trade off on. I'm caring for our kids. And so right now, that's the season we're in of mainly getting help from my family. And then David is 13. So there are times that I can leave the boys at home and, you know, run an errand and run right back, that kind of thing. We feel safe doing that. Right. So for listeners who
1: are hearing your story, and I know I have a lot of um, moms who are listening, let's talk about what they need to know in order to support their friends who have kids with special needs. In other words, ladies, you know someone who can use a break, who needs some help, who needs to just have an ear or someone to chat with that doesn't involve treatments or therapies or have anything to do with um, their child's diagnosis or situation. Let's talk to those listeners who are curious to know so that maybe they can be equipped to help these other ladies who are in the same boat as you.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm so thankful that you have listeners who are interested in this. (laughs) We're so thankful for families that come around us, you know, and, and this is fresh on our minds because we recently moved. And so we're building new friendships with people who don't know us. And so we're, we're kind of starting over. And so we're, we're learning the best way to communicate with people who didn't see James grow up. And so they're just meeting him now as an 11 year old. And and so I have to be um, honest about the challenges that we have. Like I can't come to church every Sunday and say everything is great or people right. will think everything's great and they, right. won't, they won't even push through that, you know, to find right. out what's really going on. And, and that doesn't benefit any of us. I mean, that's right. not just special needs moms who have to take that mask off. It's Absolutely. all of us. And so one of the things I have to do from my perspective, investing and inviting people in is to be honest with that. And then, um, the stage that we're in now, what is super helpful to me is people investing in my typical kiddo. (laughs) Like if they, if all of our kids are going to the same event and somebody offers to take him so that James and I don't have to get out, especially if it's bedtime or we just got home from therapy or, you know, something like that's going on. That's a huge help to me. Mm -hmm. Our church does respite nights every few months. And so some of our friends from church are getting to know our kids through that. And so for us, what that looks like is there's three hours on a Saturday night and parents can drop off their kids with special needs and the typical siblings. And we've got trained volunteers. We've got a nurse on site. And so the parents can go out and, you know, have a date night or go to Walmart. Right. If that's what you to do. <laughs> dating,
1: dating in your 40s is going to Walmart.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. We take whatever <laughs> Costco, we can take. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, but that doesn't have to be a church. Like, if you want to do that for a friend, the best thing is to text and say, hey, I want to be able to serve and help your family. Can I come over one evening and hang out with you guys and see how to best care for your child So that that way, a week or two from now, you guys can go on a date night and feel comfortable because I know your kiddo and I'm able to serve you guys in this way. And so that something like that would be a huge blessing. That's awesome. One of the things I try to tell people, if you just say, let me know how I can help you're never going to hear from me. Like I I have so many decisions, decision fatigue, you know, where you make so many decisions and I'm making them for myself and for my son. Right. (laughs) So when I get dressed and I decide what I'm going to wear, then I have to turn around and decide what he's going to wear. And then I have to help him get into it. And so if somebody says, hey, let me know how I can help. I'm out of ideas. But if they say, Hey, you know, we're making tacos next week and we know you guys like tacos. Can we bring it by? Because we know you have a, a super busy Tuesday because you have so many therapy appointments. And so if they can be very specific in how they're offering to help, then I don't have to make any decision. Right. I can that's just an, say yes. That would be an excellent awesome.
1: excellent point. Yeah, yeah, that's true because I find that to be true. Um, you know, even with when people have a cancer diagnosis or when people have a loved one pass away, people want to help. People just don't know what to do. They don't know what the person who is hurting needs. But the point that you're making, which is excellent, is that sometimes you as the person who is hurting or, or struggling, you don't even know what you need. Right. You can't even make the decision of what you need. You don't even know what would be helpful. So For those of us who want to help, but we just don't know how, like, just make something up, just take charge and offer to do it. And just basically tell them, this is what I'm going to do for you. You just tell me what day works, you know, or I can do this on Wednesday or whatever, because you don't want to have to make another decision or, or maybe you could, maybe you're thinking, yeah, it'd be great if someone helped me fold my laundry, but I'm not going to ask her to fold my laundry or whatever, you know? Yeah. Well, that's a great point.
0: Yeah. Even if it's like you have a regular grocery store day and you say, Hey, I'm on my way to the grocery store. Do you need anything today? And I'll bring it by. (laughs) Even if you just leave it on the doorstep and don't even ring the doorbell, you know, to kind of, you don't want to disrupt the flow maybe of whatever they're going through or if it's nap time or, you know, just whatever's going on. But man, just, just very practical things like that. And, and very specific ways have been a real blessing to us.
1: So Sandra, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the books that you've written. Um, I mentioned one book at the top of the show, but you actually have two that are available on Amazon, correct? Yes. All right. So when we come back, I want to get into that a little bit. Hey, friends, if you're enjoying this episode, it would be great if you would share it with a friend you think might enjoy it too. If you're not sure how to do that, don't worry, just check out our Facebook page at Josieology podcast, or you could check us out on Instagram at Josieology podcast. And from there, you'll find the episode and you'll be able to tag your friends to the episode link. Of course, you can always reach out by email, which is Josie at Josieology.com. Thank you so much. So, Sandra, your current book is called Unexpected Blessings. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Well, Unexpected Blessings came out last fall, and uh, it's with Bethany House Publishers, so it's sold in all bookstores, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all the places where you can find books. Usually libraries even have it, and so if you're a family on a budget – Uh, You can find it at your library, and it essentially helps parents realize that what they're dealing with isn't as bad as they think it is when they first hear that diagnosis. And so I have kind of determined, based on what my parents went through, what we went through, what other families went through, that there's five phases of special needs parenting. And so this book kind of takes parents through each phase, and then the, the final phase is being able to give back to other families, and to realize that um, your child's diagnosis wasn't an accident, like there is a purpose in that. It's not a punishment or an accident, like there is a purpose, and that purpose is for you to either, some. for some people it's like insurance reform or education. I mean, there's a hundred different things that you could do based on your experiences of what you've been through. And so the book walks families through each one of those phases so that hopefully they can really find their purpose at the end.
1: Awesome, and, and um, I know that you in the past wrote a book called Held, correct?
0: I did, yeah, it's a, a Bible study specific for um, either somebody to do individually or with a support group, and so it looks at what the Bible says about disability and what you know, how God views our kids, and, and that can be really encouraging to a lot of people, who have never thought about that. You know, they, they haven't thought about how did Jesus himself interact with people with disabilities and what can we learn from his example in that? And then, you know, we're talking about all these support systems and, and a lot of people look to their church as a support system. And so how does a church understand people with disabilities? And, and not only that, how do they show up for them in helpful ways instead of shying away Because we do that with things we don't know and don't understand. That's a natural response. But we can set an example to say, no, we're going to show up even when you're hurting. We're going to show up for our friends, for church members, the people that we are in different circles with, even co-workers, just whatever kind of relationship that you have with people. And the more you keep showing up, the easier it is to know what to say when right. somebody's hurting, not say the wrong thing. And then of course, discussions like you and I are having about how to offer practical help for families.
1: Those are awesome concepts. And I'm so glad
0: that you wrote about them
1: because it, it really is missing in that genre I guess. I mean, you know, when there's a lot of books about autism and and therapies, but there are not a lot of books about tending to the heart of the parent or putting out information of how the community can help and and be supportive. So I'm so thankful that you put out those two books for the world to read and to learn. Um, Where else are you writing? I believe you have a blog, right? SandraPeoples.com.
0: I do. SandraPeoples.com. Yes. And then um, on social media, different places on Instagram is one of my favorite places. I know you have a great page there as well that you have lots of interaction with. And then Facebook and Twitter. Um, and it's at Sandra Peoples at those spots. And, and I have a Facebook group, one that I really love to interact with. It's uh, Self Care for the Special Needs Mom. And it's been such a great encouragement. And we're not talking about like get eight hours of sleep because that's just not realistic (laughs) for some of us. And so what we're doing is saying within the constraints of our daily life, how can we take better care of ourselves? Because some of us like me, we're in this for the long haul. You know, James will always live with us. My sister someday will come live with us. And so if I'm not taking good care of myself, that will have consequences now and Decades into the future, and so that's one of my favorite things right now that I have going on is just investing in these other moms. We check in once a week and set goals, and then we check in on how we're developing in those goals. And so it's a really encouraging, supportive place.
1: That's awesome. I'm going to add that to the show notes for this episode. I'm going to put uh, the links to your books, um, where our listeners can contact you to learn more or to follow your blog or follow you on social. Um, as well as the link to that Facebook group. Great. Okay. Any final thoughts? Anything
0: you want to leave our listeners with? No, I just, I really, I know that your listeners, the disability numbers in our country say that it's one in five. One in five families are affected by some kind of disability, from autism to Alzheimer's. And so if, if they're looking around in their circles and they don't know anybody yet, that person will come, right. <laughs> you know, like we all have these friends and, and maybe they're not telling their stories yet, especially to young moms who are listening. You know, not all their kids have started school. They don't know the diagnosis they may have. Some diagnosis are in invisible, um, ADD, ADHD, some right. of these things that, that parents and kids really struggle with, but outsiders may not see that. And so I just hope that they, the listeners that we have today that they would just take time to really look around and to realize who may be hurting or who may be just needing a good friend and, and to be that friend, to just really come alongside, be honest, encouraging, supportive. Cause you know, they, there's a saying that you, you, you don't know anybody's story until you, you walk in their shoes or right. you know what they're going through. And, and the more people I meet through therapy and school and even at church they have stories that you would never imagine when you just see them, you know, all dressed up, <laughs> right. like, there's this, like they, the face that they're showing to the world. And so, you know, women, we've got to get over this um, super mom kind of stuff where we everything is Pinterest perfect and Instagram right. worthy, you know, and I, I really just have a heart to encourage your listeners to to be real themselves, but to be real for other people.
1: That's right. Amen. Sandra, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to chat with me today. I, as I mentioned, have been following you online for a long time, and you are a force. I mean, it is clear that God has equipped you to not only handle this, but to handle everything that you do, from writing your books, to starting ministries, to raising awareness. And I just want you to be encouraged and know that you are making a difference, not just in your sibling's life, not just in your son's life and the rest of your immediate family's lives, but you're making a big difference in the world and specifically in the special needs community. So be encouraged and know that we see you.
0: Oh, thank you so much. That really means a lot.
1: Hey friends, thanks for listening to Josieology. If you've enjoyed today's episode, do me a favor and subscribe to the show. It's free, and subscribing lets your phone queue up the new episode once it's published, so it's ready for you to listen. Plus, subscribing helps me know how many people are listening. If you're not sure how to subscribe, check the device you're listening on. There should be three dots or a little menu or button that says subscribe. If you can't find it, don't worry. Just head on over to our Facebook page, which is Podcast and check out the videos I have there showing you how to subscribe. Looking forward to chatting soon.